0: call to fellowship with God. We are at that same subject in our discipleship class and so we covered a lot of that in the class before we came in here tonight. We said last week functional oneness with God is what every human longs for the most. And for those of you who are new to this study, we've broken fellowship with God down into our positional oneness with Him, our right standing with Him that we've been given as a gift. But then once we have that positional oneness with Him through salvation, we then, with the Holy Spirit's help, learn how to walk together in harmony uh, with the Lord, uh, to walk by faith in the Spirit together with the Lord, to do life together with Him. That's the functional oneness And it's functional oneness with God that we were created for. It's what we lost when Adam sinned. And it's what Jesus came to restore for us and for Father God. Functional oneness is not possible without our positional oneness. But positional oneness alone will not satisfy the deepest longing of our heart any more than a marriage license will satisfy your desire for a spouse. The empty place inside us can only be filled by functional oneness with God. And I, I know we mentioned this last week, but I just want to kind of revisit it as we work our way to some new stuff tonight. I mentioned this um, Sunday evening at uh, Love Lady, and I think it really, really um, ministered to, to some of the ladies there. Because a lot of times, you know, people get born again when they're younger Um, And for me, uh, the the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was uh, like like 12 years old. I was born again when I was 7 years old. And as far as, I I hate to use the word feeling, but as far as like just the experience of it, uh, I noticed a more radical difference. I I guess because at 12 years old, I was a little bit more aware of things than I was when I was 7 years old. So a lot of people get born again when they're young, and don't grow up a lot in the things of God, for whatever reason, and they become disillusioned because we're told that we long for God and that God will satisfy our longings and um, He's, you know, has a special place in our lives and unless He fills it, we'll never be satisfied, and and all of that is true, but. It's it's not the positional oneness that satisfies. It's 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 enjoying life and doing life together with him and, and experiencing that life and that oneness. And so the empty place inside of us can only be filled with positional oneness with God, not just I'm, I'm sorry, functional oneness with God, not just the positional oneness. And we've made this statement as well. God desires to have unbroken fellowship with the men and women He created. It's one thing to experience fellowship with God but it's next level to have unbroken fellowship with Him and last week we looked at the Old Testament sacrificial system of of blood of bulls and goats and the Bible's very clear that the blood of a bull or a goat could cover over sin but it could not take it away and that version of sacrifice made something called atonement possible but the atonement at one with god that was produced by the animal sacrifice was only temporary once the worshiper uh, sinned after having made the last sacrifice then the fellowship was broken and of course this is what jesus came to resolve for us and for father If you lose your position with God, you lose your standing with Him. And if you lose your standing with God, you lose your fellowship with God. So the only way to never lose the fellowship is to make it impossible to lose the position and the standing. Without right standing, we can't have fellowship with God. This is why we've been not only given right standing, we've been made right standing. We've been made right with God in the eyes of God because Jesus is one sacrifice for all sin for all time. So we've asked the question, what would God have to do for us to live in unbroken fellowship with himself? what what is if, if this is what God desires and how is he going to pull it off and so I'm not going to try to re-preach last week um, of course the 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 date of that sermon would be um, the 24th it's there on the on the website the internet Facebook different things well actually it's not on Facebook so but if you weren't here for that I, w- I would really like for you to to go back and, and listen to, to that message I think it'll help you understand better what it is that we're we're presenting uh, tonight and, and in the days ahead. But in order for God to have unbroken fellowship with us, He has to figure out a way to prevent our choice to sin from separating us from Him without compromising His own justice and righteousness. Every sin incurs a debt that must be paid and cannot be swept under the rug like it never happened. And because sin is our choice... Sin is our choice. Every time we choose to sin, our fellowship with God would be broken, and so this is a real problem for us. But it's also a problem for God, who forgives us for His sake. So just stay with me. I know we've been over some of this already, but I want to. I'm building up to something that I want us to look at. So, what is the one thing that separates us from positional oneness with God and the fellowship that positional oneness makes possible? It's sin. And we see that the wages of sin is death. And death equals separation. I've told you there's one word I want you to think of when you hear the word death, and that's the word separation. Death means more than separation, but there's two kinds of death. There's spiritual death, which means your spirit has been separated from God. There's physical death, which means your uh, spirit and soul have been separated from your body. So God had to figure out a way to forgive us for our sin before we committed it. Are you seeing this now? <laughs> and so it's like, okay, how, how is he going to pull this off? He's going to pull this off by putting all of our sin on Jesus and Jesus bearing the punishment for all of our sin so that Father God can be a just God but also the one Who justifies you and me. Now, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the only answer to the dilemma of our sin separating us from God is for God to find a way in advance, to find a way rather to pay in advance for your sin and my sin before we commit it. Some, some way for the separation and the death that our sin produces to have already occurred so that when we sin, our sin will, will, uh, will not separate us from himself. So Again, here we see Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's go to Romans five twelve now. Romans chapter five verse twelve, it says, "Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned." Okay, anybody want to take a wild guess at who that man was that sin entered by? It was Adam, right? Adam sinned, and when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Before Adam sinned, there was no sin in the world. But when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And, and, and then, of course, death entered through the door that sin opened. And then death spread to all men because all sinned. As I've taught these things here and other places, and, and I'll just speak for me personally, one, one of the initial challenges for me was trying to wrap my heart and head around this idea that I was forgiven for my sin before I ever committed it. That, that Jesus had already paid the price for my sin because He is one sacrifice for all sin for all time. And we know, of course, that He died on the cross for my sin and for your sin before we were ever alive to commit a sin. But part of us understanding this, again, not from our perspective, but we have to understand it from God's perspective. And it has to do with the power of a seed. And what we see in Scripture is that we were all in Adam in seed form when Adam sinned. Notice again Romans 5 and 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. He didn't say because, listen, give give them enough time and they're all going to sin. That's not what he said. He said that we all sinned when Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. Now you may look at this and you may say, "Well, that, that's not fair. I mean, I ought, to, I ought to, you know, get my own shot at trying to get it right. You know, I ought, I ought to get my own shot at trying not to sin." Well, I, I mean, I kind of understand where you're coming from there, but how's that working out for you? Okay. So if it hadn't been Adam, it would have been somebody else. But just stay with me, because it was Adam, and we were all in Adam. We all sinned when Adam sinned. You say, well, how, how, do, how do we know this? Because death spread to all men. The consequences of sin spread to all men, even though not every man who lived between Adam and the day that Moses uh, brought the law of God to the earth. Let's turn there. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I was trying to go through this quickly and, and get to another part. But we need to go there. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody good tonight? All right. So... <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, I apologize, I don't have a slide for this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death entered through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Before I go another step forward, what is the one word I want you to think of when you hear the word death? Death separation so let's read it again therefore justice through one man sin into the world and separation from God through sin and thus separation from God spread to all men because all sinned when Adam sinned so death equals separation sin separates us from God so when Adam sinned it wasn't just that Adam separated himself from God when Adam sinned he separated all of us from God That's why when you get over to the New Testament and these things are explained, we're identified not as being disobedient, but we're identified as sons of disobedient, sons of disobedience. We're identified as children or as the offspring of damnation, the offspring of God's wrath. Because again, I'm not saying you haven't sinned and I'm not saying that I haven't sinned, but it wasn't your sin that made you a sinner any more than it's your obedience that makes you righteous. So it's very easy to look at this and say, well, you know, that's not fair that that I was made a sinner uh, when Adam sinned, okay? But let me tell you what else is not fair, and thank God it's not. We were all made righteous when Jesus was made righteous. When Jesus came and did what he did, we now, as those who are in Christ Jesus, have the same right standing with God that Jesus enjoys. So let me keep reading here. Uh, separation or death uh, through sin and thus uh, death or separation from God spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. That word imputed is, a, is an accounting term. And, and what he's literally saying here is that although people were doing things that would be considered sinful, God did not hold them accountable because there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So what is he saying there? There's this very unique group of people who lived on planet earth from the days of Adam to the days of Moses. And what we have there are a group of people who lived on planet earth who only had one commandment from God. And that one commandment from God was, do not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so when it says they did not sin after the similitude of Adam, what he's saying is all those people who lived from Adam to Moses, they never sinned in God's eyes because God hadn't made any other commandments uh, known to, um, to people. Amen. It wasn't that they were, they did everything right. They were doing things that we would consider wrong. Like, Um, we drove one time from, uh, Denver, uh, Colorado to, um, to Wyoming. And, and that's a long drive. Okay. And when you get out in that remote part of the country, posted speed limits, 80 miles an hour. And this was before they moved it up to 70 here, okay, when it was still 65 here. But then there are even places in the United States of America that are so remote that there is no posted speed limit. You literally drive at your own risk. So on that particular roadway, you could pass a police officer doing 90 miles an hour, and they could not legally write you a ticket because there is no law given. Are you seeing this? Now, do they recommend you driving that fast on these remote roads? Absolutely not. But you can't be pulled over for speeding on a road where there is no speed limit. And so in the same way, because the law, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, and and then the rest of the law, it didn't come to to mankind to, uh, to be obeyed until it came from God to Moses and then even then it came to the the Jewish people I I'm, I'm, open up that whole uh, uh, can of worms there but it was a law for the Israelites not not all of humanity what's the point the point is and that's what he Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is using this unique group of people to help us better understand, first of all, the predicament that we were in, but then also to better understand the answer that God has, has given to us. And the predicament that we were in is that it wasn't our sin that made us a sinner. How do we know? Because all of these people who never broke one of God's commands, because the only command given was don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And nobody did that but Adam and Eve. Okay? But how do we know they were all sin? How, how do we know that, that we all sin? It's because one thing that every one of those people had in common is that they died anyway. Am I boring? You're losing. You Staying with me. They all died anyway. Which is the consequence of sin. Sin separates from God. They all physically died even though they did not break a commandment worthy, so to speak, of death. So when we talk about Jesus being one sacrifice for all sin for all time, Father God laying upon him the iniquity of us all, And when he became your sin and my sin on the cross, because sin brings death and death equals separation from God, this is why when Jesus became your sin and my sin, our sin separated him from God the Father. This means that any sin I commit moving forward as his son is not going to separate me from him because that sin, one that I haven't committed yet, has already been paid for and has already brought death to Jesus and has already separated him from God the Father. Are you seeing this? Man, this stirs me up. So let's go then from here to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9 says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. He's quoting from Psalm 8 here. He's literally saying made a little lower than Elohim, a little lower than God. This was what was originally spoken of humankind. Jesus became a human being. He came, uh, emptied Himself of everything that made Him God and came to this earth as a human being. And so we see Jesus, who was made a little bit lower than God, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. That He might taste death for everyone. That word taste there, um, back in the day when I worked for Chick-fil-A, uh, we would stand on the lease line there at the mall uh, with a platter and uh, you know, full of chicken nuggets with a toothpick in them. Anybody remember that? We were giving people a taste. We were giving people just a little sample. And I always, I always, you know, people walk by, grab me, talk to somebody, and they'd put the chicken in their mouth and they would stop, right? And it's like, oh, let me go back here, right? And of course, it was a way of marketing. Uh, to my knowledge, Chick-fil-A doesn't do that anymore. They've, they went from... Uh, restaurant that nobody could pronounce the name of to a you know doing pretty well for themselves amen they honor god by the way at chick-fil-a and as john mark says that's the lord's chicken amen and um and so we're thankful for that that's not what this word means here that that jesus just kind of you know just tasted of it a little bit right um i have a reputation of being a particular eater amen and um my, my family, uh, when I say my family, I, I'm talking about Pam and, uh, you know, John Mark and, and Gina and Beth and Jake. And now the boys have gotten in on it, you know. Um, they, they like to watch me try something new. Uh, because I also have a reputation of kind of being expressive, if you haven't figured that out already, right? And so especially if they can get something in my mouth that's sour, right? So sometimes you can taste something and, and spit it out, right? I was given a white chocolate uh, macadamia nut cookie yesterday, which happens to be probably my favorite cookie. And uh, only problem was it was rank. Mm. I took a bite out of it, and I'm like, ooh, I don't want to hurt these feelings. But, you know, it, pff, I mean, I spit the whole, I, could, I was like, uh-uh, not eating that, right? Okay. That's not what this means, That Jesus just kind of tasted a little bit of it and spit it out? No. That he might experience death for how many? For everyone. That he might experience death for everyone. That he might experience separation from God for everyone. Remember now, we said that how is God going to make unbroken fellowship with himself available for you and me? How is he going to pull this off? He's got to figure out some way to pay for your sin and my sin in advance, to pay for your sin and my sin before we commit it, and for that sin to have already caused separation from himself. Are you seeing what Jesus has done for you? Are are you seeing the grace of God that that he has done for you? Listen, we just talk about Jesus forgiving us for our sins. My my brother, my sister, he has done so much more than simply forgiving you and me uh, for our sin. He has taken our sin away. He has put us in a situation now as the sons and daughters of God... Where our sin can no longer get us booted out of Father's house. Because Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, if I make you a free Son of God, you will abide in Father's house forever. 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 I get stirred up about this now. All right. So, are you you seeing now it's one thing to say, okay, Jesus became our sin. He, he, he was made our sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians 5 21. Okay. Um, but when we add the death part to it, that he actually, um, when he became our sin and he cried out to his father, why have you forsaken me? And then the Bible says he gave up the ghost. he, he uh, surrendered his life. That death, That uh, I, you could even say it this way. Once he became separated from God the Father, he had no will to live anymore. No desire to live anymore. Now, let's do this. Praise God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Can you hang with me a few more minutes? Hebrews chapter 10. Verse eleven. And every high priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. I'm not going to go back through the list, but we see it over and over and over again. John one twenty nine, Hebrews eleven, twenty-seven, Isaiah twenty-seven, nine, first John three, five, Hebrews ten, four. Okay. Um this uh Proclamation, this declaration that Jesus came to take away sin. Amen. Not simply forgive it, not simply cover over it, but to remove it from us once and for all. Now, every high priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Perfected forever those who are being sanctified. If you are a born again man or woman... You have been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus, and you are currently enjoying unbroken fellowship with God. Now, what does it mean to be perfected forever? Let me try to get this part established. We're, we're building something here, okay? And and um, amen. I, I get I get excited about it. I did a lot of writing about it today, and and um, amen. But, you know, when you're building something, you, you, you I can, I could close my eyes, that's why I got my eyes, cause I can close my eyes and I can see it all, all coming together. Praise God. But remember, to, to properly build something, you've gotta connect things together. Last week we used that example of the puzzle, and you gotta have those, uh, uh, borders established, because until you get the borders established, you have no idea um, what pieces go in the puzzle and what pieces are religious opinions, traditions, outright lies and deceptions from the enemy. So it's like you've got a 2,000-piece puzzle with 2,500 pieces. And where all those extra pieces come from are people taking what the Bible says and misinterpreting it. Where all those extra pieces come from are uh, religious traditions and, 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 and philosophies of men and uh, sacred cows and things that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation, to generation that, again, are not in the Bible or are not supported by an accurate understanding and comprehensive uh, inclusion and accurate translation of the Bible. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? Let let me me give you an example. The Bible Bible says, let me turn there right quick, praise God. It, it, the Holy Spirit's good because you know I'm sitting there working on this today, and um, and somebody comes up to me after class and actually asks me about this. Thank you, Jesus. First Corinthians, chapter six, verse nine. Do you not know? That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. To be deceived means to believe something is true that's not true. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. Will inherit the kingdom of God. How many times have I heard this verse read and quoted, verses 9 and 10? People read this verse, they quote this verse, and then here comes the hellfire and brimstone from the pulpit. Here comes the hammer, and it's fixing to drop. And we're fixing to stir some people up. And we're fixing to scare some people. And we're fixing to shame some people. And we're fixing to condemn some people. And we're going to make them feel really, really guilty. And then right at the last minute, we're going to open up the altars. And their altars are going to fill up. And we have done our job as a pastor. All because you didn't read verse 11. Verse 11. Verse 11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified, declared right before God in the eyes of God, made right before God in the eyes of God. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. See, if you take 9 and 10 and leave out verse 11, it's very, very easy. Matter of fact, it's it's more than likely that you're going to come to the wrong conclusion. But let's begin with inherit the kingdom of God. Inherit the kingdom of God has nothing to do with going to heaven when you die or by the rapture. If you're a born-again man or woman, you have already entered into the kingdom of God. You have already been given the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is inside of you. Paul is writing to born-again believers. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to men and women who have received salvation but are still struggling in some areas of sinfulness and carnality in their lives. If you if you read verse 9 and 10 and drop the hammer on people, you actually wind up uh pre- pre- preaching a message presenting a message that's actually opposite to the one that the Holy Spirit is trying to show people he's trying to show them you still may be struggling in some of these areas but that's not who you are anymore you were a thief but you're not a thief anymore if you've been born again so if you're still struggling with trying to abscond with some things the Holy Spirit's in you and he will help you grow out of that and put that behind you once and for all Somehow we get from this that if, if 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 you do these things, you're going to hell. Inheriting the kingdom, first of all, is not speaking of going to heaven when you die. Your inheritance as a son or a daughter of God is the kingdom of God. If you've been born again, you've entered into the kingdom. If you've been born again, the kingdom is in you because Father God has given it to you. So when he says, if you practice these things, he's talking about carnal thinking, which leads to carnal living. Amen? Amen. And this carnal thinking, which leads to carnal living, is preventing people from, and this is what inherit means, to inherit means to possess what you've already been given, to actually experience and enjoy what is already yours. So he's saying to these men and women, listen, you, you, you gotta understand this kind of behavior, this isn't pleasing to God. This isn't the life that God created you to live, and it's not who you are anymore. Man, when, 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 when people live in sin and, 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 and res- have these established reputations and, and identities, uh, in sin, when, when God makes them a new creation, that's at the spirit level of their being. But a carnal believer... Remember, this is a born-again man or woman who still, for the most part, thinks like somebody who's never been born again. And if you think like somebody who's never been born again, you're going to continue to live like somebody who's never been born again. And the image that you have of yourself, right, is is going to be reflected in your daily life reality. And so the the Apostle Paul, again, this, this chronic problem that still is ongoing in the body of Christ today where God's children are living far beneath their birthright, living far beneath their privilege... Living like outsiders, Ephesians 4, when they're insiders. Living like somebody God's mad at when He's not mad at. Living like people who are separated from God, who are not separated from God. Who actually have the same fellowship access to God the Father as Jesus, right? They they have this self-image problem. They have a carnal thinking problem. They have a carnal behavior problem. But this doesn't mean, let's go back to it. What do they need? They need to be sanctified. Am I right about it? They need to be set apart from some things. They need to be set apart from some things. But now, what did he say in Hebrews 2? What did he say in Hebrews 2? He said, the one who's doing the sanctifying and the ones who are being sanctified are all of one. And Jesus, who is the captain of our salvation, is not ashamed to call them Adelphos. He's not ashamed to say, we were born from the same womb. We were born from the same seed. We're in the same eternal community together, loved with the same love by our Heavenly Father. But do do you see now how See, we go into into these things with this preconceived idea that God's grace is not amazing, it's rational. And it only makes sense to me that if somebody continues to struggle in these areas. Are you with me still? So for one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. There's, again, a work in progress. Come on now the work in progress. And watch this. Watch this now. You can make a lot more progress in the things of God if you will cooperate with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God than you can if you keep on being stubborn and resisting. That's true. We see in Hebrews 5 and 13 where people have been born again for a long, long time, but they were still like babies. They still needed the milk instead of the stronger meat of the Word. A lot of characteristics there, but situation I've been dealing with here of late, you know. Sometimes you hear uh, my uh, granddaughter, little Elsie Caroline, right? Sometimes you hear her cry out during the sermon. You know why? It's because she's a baby. And she's hungry or she needs her diaper changed. And when a baby needs something, the baby don't care who they interrupt or who they disturb or who they distract. Are you following me? Are you? (laughs) Baby don't care if they draw attention to themselves. They don't. Baby don't care. Amen. Well, that's a baby, right? We understand that. But but what's what's the real problem is is when we become adults and we still don't care who we distract. We don't care who we interrupt. We don't care. And so that's what Paul was addressing. In Hebrews 5 and 13, you got, you got grown men and women who've been in the church long enough to be teaching classes and they need somebody to go back. And so what's the deal? Is they're not cooperating? Does that mean, does that mean they're not saved? Of course not. They are absolutely saved. They're, they're still spiritual babies. Does it mean they're missing out? Absolutely missing out. Does it mean quite possibly if doesn't, something doesn't change when they get to heaven, they're going to have little to zero reward? quite possibly yes but if Jesus made them a free child of God they in father's house forever amen thank you Jesus forever means without end and without change to be perfected means to reach the intended goal to come full circle what is the intended goal? The intended goal is unbroken fellowship. That's, that's what... You were created by God to have fellowship with Him. Father, God desires to have unbroken fellowship with you. Why did Jesus do everything that He did for you? Why did He become your sin? Why did He allow Himself to be separated from the Father uh, because of your sin? Why did He allow His fellowship with, the God, with God the Father to be broken so that your fellowship could be not only restored but never be broken? Are you... Are you man, I want you to see this song. Do you see this? Are you seeing this? This, this, is, this is the love of God. So perfected forever means we started out in God, we came forth from God, we were separated from God, Jesus came, and now He's made a way for us to be back one with God again. Now last verse and we'll pray. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. For it was fitting for Him, speaking of Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things. The Bible says in the, book of, in the Gospel of John that nothing that was created was created without Jesus. For, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So when it says Jesus is the captain of our salvation, that means he is the originator, he is the founder, and he is the leader of our salvation. It means that he and he alone has made a unique and distinguished way of being saved, unique and distinguished from any other previous method or approach. So distinct from and separate from the Old Testament system, and this is significant again in the letter to the Hebrews because the Jewish men and women saved; yet many of them were saved. That were this letter was written to, many of them were not, and he's he's wanting them to understand because they still struggle with. Okay, we believe in Jesus, but we still going to carry the goat down to the temple. Are you are you, still, are you following what I'm saying here? And we believe in Jesus, so they were. It was it was instead of either or, it was for them. A lot of them both and, and of course we know that there's no other. Uh, there's no, no salvation in any other, for there's uh, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So, here, let me finish this, though. Do you see that word in verse number 10, perfect? For it was fitting for Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Perfect, perfected. Okay. So, perfect again. Remember, we were in the Father, one with Him. Sin separated us from him. We died, and then we were brought back into oneness and fellowship with him. Before any other human being made that journey, Jesus made it. Jesus was the first human being to be perfected. He was the perfect and eternal Son of God. But He chose to empty Himself himself of everything that made Him God and become a man and live on this earth. And without sin became your sin and my sin. That sin separated us from God just like our sin prior to that separated us from Him. He died. He went into the belly of the earth. He was raised up from the dead to newness of life and has been restored back into oneness and fellowship with His Father. If he was separated from his father and he's one with his father again tonight, then there had to be a restoration of the oneness and fellowship. Are you seeing this? So Jesus then is the prototype. He he is the template. He is the established pattern. He was the first human being perfected forever. Amen. So when we were in Adam and Adam was one with God before he sinned, we were all very vulnerable to separation from God. But we're no longer in Adam. We're in Christ Jesus. This is what makes our oneness with God secure and unbreakable. Amen? All right, stand with me tonight. Praise God. Thank you for hanging in here with me and and bearing with some of my scatteredness tonight. Amen. Um, Thank you, Jesus. Father, as we stand before you tonight, we say thank you. We We say yes and amen. We say help us, Holy Spirit, to not just understand or comprehend these things, but, Father, to um, recognize that these truths are the foundation for our oneness and our fellowship with you, the same foundation that we will be established upon 10,000 years from tonight. And so, Lord, as we say yes and amen and so be it and thank you uh, to, to uh, Jesus and to you, Father, and to the Holy Spirit, um, we, we want to lay hold of these things. We want to consider ourselves not just in fellowship with you, Father, but to consider ourselves to have died to sin and to be established in unbroken fellowship with you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Much love and good things coming to you and yours. We'd love to see you on Sunday for communion. Praise God. You have a great rest of your week.